Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. Good morning, everyone. It's Dr. MJ here. I'm with Nicole Wade. For those of you who have seen her before, you'll know who she is. But for those of you who have not, let me just reintroduce you. Nicole is a certified personal trainer, running coach, and holistic nutritionist. Her career and passions include higher education research, continuity of patient care, and outreach for at-risk populations. When she's not teaching meditation and breath work, you can find her running around Boston rain or shine. And I have seen the pictures of you <laughs> running around Boston rain or shine. So Nicole, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So the two of us have connected on several different fronts, originally with nutrition and some of the things that Nicole was going through when we actually worked together. She's so passionate about what she does that, that we connected right away. But an additional passion that we both share, I think, is our spiritual journeys. And, you know, I know that's not a fitting discussion for some people. It makes people feel uncomfortable. And whatever your area of belief is, it's totally fine with us. We just, we just have a path that's it's more on the spiritual side. So I just wanted to spend some time, Nicole, because of COVID-19, you and I both agreed we loved the piece from Bill Gates that talks about what COVID-19 means and what he believes from a spiritual standpoint COVID-19 means to all of us. So I thought I'd, I'd go through the whole dissertation that he did and we'd take each point that he brought up because he thinks that each one is like a key lesson for all of us to learn. And I think his first couple of lessons are going to point out that it's not just us in the United States. It's not just you and I in the dental profession. It's not just people around us that are involved in COVID-19, but the whole world. And mm -hmm. I think that this is the first time in our lifetimes, you know, maybe World War II was something that our parents remember. But for us in our lifetime, this is the first time that something has absolutely stopped our world and created this just such a frantic, you know, change in what we do and how quickly everything is changing every day. So without any further ado, I think I'll just step into the first key. And he said that um, we're all equal and therefore we should treat each other equally. What do you think? I mean, obviously, I believe that to be true. But for him to be saying we are all equal and we have to treat each other equal no matter where we come from, how do you feel about that? I think this is a pretty loaded point. I agree. I agree. But when we talk about the playing field, we know it's not level, right? I don't think the playing field is level. I think that um, we live in a place where there's this idea that you can be anything you want to be and have anything you want. I do think that certain populations and certain groups have a little bit of an advantage. And I think that's something that we need to remember. I think treating everyone equally, super important. I think that we are in a, a divided state 
in that the disparity between between groups is is there's a lot of disparity between the groups. Um, and I think that probably plays in plays into some of some of the ways that we end up treating each other for sure. I agree. Yeah, you know, there's a, a lot of discussion in around politics all the time about the haves and the have nots. And, you know, how we spend so very little time on, you know, parts of our population that, you know, are not as well-educated, let's just say, or not as socially, economically prosperous. For all those reasons, we in our everyday lives may discount them. One of my biggest concerns is the elderly population during this COVID crisis. I think you and I share a passion with that also. You know, I spent almost six years of my life just doing nursing home care, and I Mm -hmm. loved providing care. You know, the one thing that I did realize is that for me, I didn't mind the smells. I didn't mind the the chatter and, and the conversations being repeated. I thought it was genuinely just beautiful to see older people in action, you know, unfortunately at nursing homes. But I do believe that part of our lesson now is really focused on people that can't do for themselves and that we have to be part of that solution. Don't you agree? I agree. And I think that how we treat our elderly and how we treat our senior population is so important. And what does that say about us? I have a lot to say about this, right? As a country that (laughs) has a preoccupation with youth, right? So we've we've had this for a long time. Youth and Mm -hmm. beauty, right? And, and a preoccupation with wealth, right? And accumulation of wealth. I don't know if you've seen that movie, Generation Wealth, but it's, it's quite well done. At any rate, um, oh, I, would, I, would, I would recommend seeing it. It's, okay. it's, uh, there's a photographer who's done a 25-year retrospective on uh, wealth in America and, and globally as well. But at any rate, I think that when we put emphasis on, you know, status and what you can accumulate or what you can do or produce, right, I think then we have this, this big inequality. Because if the only way that we start to measure success is, you know, did you get the PhD? Did you become the CEO? Did you get the corner office? Did you get the new car? Right. right? right. I think that it can, the message that that can send is that success is only to be had in this area, right? And so if we're going to talk about equality, we can talk about what success and happiness looks like through a spectrum. And it's not only one thing, but if we do place emphasis on just one way to be successful, we could also say that, you know, being elderly is not successful, right? Because we need right, to be, because right? 25 mm-hmm. forever. <laughs> right, right, right. 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 <laughs> the 25-year-old CEO, maybe that's the way to go. But yeah, so I have a lot to say about this. This is an interesting point. It is. It is. All right. Let's go on to the next one. We are connected and something that affects one person affects another person. I have long believed that for, for us as, as human beings that, you know, we all have this ability to be connected by the energy that just flows naturally in the world. And, you know, just because we can't see it, touch it, feel it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. That energy does exist. And, you know, I know that you know from your study of Reiki that that energy is extremely powerful. So let's talk a little bit about that and and how that connection that Mm -hmm. we have to one another and actually everything, even trees, animals, all of that, you know, that energy flows through each and every, it's omnipresent, right? I mean, if that's, that's a description that, that the Bible uses, but 
you know, I don't want to use that as, as a Bible term, but it is omnipresent. It's, it's everywhere and everything. Mm -hmm. So um, I love to talk about this. I reiki my plants on a regular basis because I know that, you know, it might sound a little bit out there, but I have some, some <laughs> right in this room, um, some beautiful thriving plants. And yeah, I do believe in energy and I do believe in transfer of energy and sharing of energy. I also believe in the energy of nature, of course. One of the reasons a lot of people believe that you feel better at the beach isn't just because you're seeing the ocean or connecting mm -hmm. that way. It's because you take off your shoes, right? Right. You put your bare feet on soil. You put your bare feet on sand. You put your bare feet in the water. And there's that beautiful energy transfer. I also think that we are a little bit touch phobic at times so Reiki, more so now right yes and i so that that really does concern me the, the beautiful thing about reiki is it can be hands-on or you can you can kind of just be right above the body yeah so if you're the kind of person that maybe isn't comfortable with touch you can certainly go right above and and it's not like massage right so you can you can be fully dressed you can do an energy transfer and i think there's this beautiful idea about holding space for others kind of space can you hold for others a healing space or a space to sort of um, explore what it is that you're feeling right and sure. and to be cared for a little bit of the white coat syndrome right so I think that when you make an appointment have you ever made a doctor's appointment and then you think oh I feel better should I even bother going right right right, right. <laughs> happens all the time right and then you think well this seems silly why am I even going but the anticipation of someone caring for you you know, that, that is a factor in the healing better. process. It makes you feel better, right? Yeah. And, and that, I think, is part of the energy transfer. Tell me your thoughts on this. I'd like to know. So I do believe that, that we are all connected, and, and I do believe that energy flows through us, and I think we have the ability to tap into it or not. Mm. And I think that it's a choice. It's a personal choice by everyone when you do meditate or you do take time for yourself. So, you know, I don't, don't necessarily meditate, but for example, when, when I was driving back from Maine today, I was taking my time thinking about, you know, the world and, and sending out, you know, warm thoughts and love and whatever, just, you know, because my heart, I think all of our hearts are so heavy with this COVID-19. And, you know, I'm really concerned more so about our caregivers and how do we support them. I know that dentists all over the state are anxiously looking for something to do. If they can't see their own patients, they want to be of help some way, shape or form. And I think that's what we want is we just want to be, feel like we're needed and support one another. So I do think that connection and, and that's why, you know, when one of us gets hurt, all of us hurt because yes. of that energy that connects us. So I do think that that is critically important. And, you know, another really great point that he brings up. So let's go on to the next one. It is oppressing us for a period of time to remind us of those that are oppressed every single day. You touched on mm -hmm. that earlier in, in the first point, the first lesson he brought up. Do you have any thoughts on expanding that at all? Yeah, you know, I do a lot of outreach work. I do a lot of work with at-risk populations, especially right now I'm doing a lot of work with senior populations and, uh, and, and I have some um, health-based grants that I'm working with right now, evidence-based especially for folks that need um, those that are at risk for like type 2 diabetes, for example. Sure. Uh, so we, I, I could certainly use that as a group. 
those people I think are in a particularly difficult situation. And I think it's a, it's a matter of acknowledging that group and directing resources in their direction. And I'm sure you know this as a healthcare practitioner who works with underserved populations as well. So yeah, I think that these, these are some of our most critical folks, absolutely. And I think it's important to remember that the United States population is less than 5% of the total world's population. Right. And so some of, you know, when we travel to third world countries or see what's happening for those folks, that their reality is their reality. That's it. And I think that sometimes we see poverty here looks different than other places. Man, I, I think that there's, sometimes I feel like there's so much hurting in the world. I don't even know where to start with, with right. fixing the, the inequality or the, the hurt or the despair. And there's so much joy. There's so much everything. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because I traveled to Cartagena last summer in August uh, with a group of students for an implant course, a hands-on implant training course. And I had never been to Cartagena before and didn't really know what to expect, except that I, I was told that I had to take a specific taxi line that was set up for me ahead of time. I had to go to a specific hotel you know, that hotel, you had to be in by 9 p.m. at nighttime. So, you know, I was expecting the worst, but it was absolutely amazing. So a couple of things from that experience that I thought of oppression right away when I thought about my experiences there. While those people are out working on a regular basis and doing their best to survive, a couple of things were really apparent. They stayed very close to home very supportive of their families. But the one thing that was overwhelming to me was the trash. Mm. And they do not have systems in place for trash to be collected. So if that's the case, what happens to all the trash is that they just put it in the water, in the ocean. And that's why we have these five gazillion pound bulges of trash roaming around the ocean and why our animals and, and fish and whales and sharks are getting caught in it and just, you know, being killed because of it. So, you know, for me, oppression is, you know, a government being established for the people of their nation that doesn't spend the resources on the people as they should. And yes. I think that's a classic example of that. It is. Um, a couple of years ago, we spent some time in India, and um, I found uh, the lack of infrastructure to be challenging, right? So there's definitely right. no trash removal. There's just you just they just burn it. There's burning of trash, and um, so they, the lack they're of, creating pollution, right? Right. right. Because the, again, it's what are the options? the government has, and we could get into that, but the, you know, the government has not given these folks many options, especially in very rural areas. You know, Bangalore is sort of termed the Silicon Valley of India. And uh, having been to Silicon Valley, I, I had an idea before I got there. And then I got there and thought, oh, no, this is not quite the same as I imagined. Of course, I'm coming with a very Western view. It was very, very similar in that, you know, there's there's a lot of burning of trash, but there is a lack of upward social mobility, right? Because of the caste system. Right. And so, you know, there are definitely a lot of problems for these folks. And you, I'm reminded on a regular basis just by reflecting on it that you know, there's so many amazing people that I met in a beautiful country full 
of, uh, of all of these beautiful traditions where, you know, we just kind of got, we were just born here. Right. Right. And right. We, just and, got for, we were just that, fortunate enough. Right. Exactly. So. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting that, that um, you brought up India because uh, many of my students come from India and the costumes are amazing. We do a yes. big diversity get together a couple times a year and they all get dressed up in their native clothes and it's absolutely gorgeous, 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 gorgeous. Okay, next point, how precious our health is. And unhealthy processed food is what we on, on average are eating every day and water with tons of chemicals in it. You know, how do we move people? The majority of the population, I will say, I, I do think understands that, you know, you should shop on the outside part of the, the grocery store. The inside is all the processed food. You should, you know, try to stay away from anything that has chemicals in it or things in it that you don't, you can't read the name of them, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is right up your alley because you focus so heavily on nutrition. So what are your thoughts about this point that he makes? I wholeheartedly agree. I think that we should definitely wrap it into oppression and um, the equality line for a second Mm -hmm. and say that, you know, there are places in the country that exist that are complete food deserts where the only thing for miles around are convenience stores. And I think that fresh vegetables and fresh fruits for some populations is just out of the realm of possibility financially. I think that when we talk about subsidies in our country, um, we are the country that designed the, right, the breakfast cereal. What will we do with all of these wheat crops? We will subsidize the sugar. So I think that there's a few factors at play um, when it comes to this topic. I think that this is critical for overall health and that your ecosystem, right, your internal ecosystem uh, is designed to work better with food that's food, not food that's not food. And these uh, bigger companies, processed food companies, they have folks who work there that are just trying to make sure that we're getting that fat, salt, sweet combination, mouthfeel, crunch, right? Addictive qualities that make you want to buy it again and again and again, right? And these are nutritionally devoid items, right? right? And I think that over time, if you if we start to believe that that's food. And, uh, you know, I always say that kind bars also don't grow on trees, right? <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. We, I kind of wish they were. They're delicious, right? But at the end of the day, that is still a processed food when you think about it, right? And I think that everybody kind of has to decide for themselves what feels best. And I think that if you had time to sort of tap into your own feelings, mm-hmm. reflect on the way that foods are making you feel. How is your sleep? How is your digestion? How does your skin look? Right? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, this is the biggest organ you've got and it shows everything. Good. And you, right? So you'll know. And sleep is such an important quality too. And I think that like that kind of gets back into it as, as part of a bigger health picture um, in this season, if you will, of do, 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 produce, make, Right that can really take a hit. And if your nutrition is not great, you, you won't feel very well and you'll get sick. So it, we can put that into immune system functioning as well. How important our family is, is another lesson he thinks that COVID-19 is teaching us. And I can't agree more. I just can't agree more. I, I'm, more I'm home more now and cooking more at home as most people 
And I think that that is an amazing thing. I think that we've gotten away from it. It used to be, you know, when I was growing up, and I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, you had dinner every night as a family. You didn't mm-hmm. go out to dinner. Out to dinner was as an occasional, you know, with my dad, it was an occasional once a year thing. Our big to do would be a, a trip over to McDonald's once, <laughs> once, <laughs> once a year or twice a year. It was never to a good fancy restaurant. That is for sure. So, how about you? How what are your thoughts about this about family? Yeah, I think whether it's the family that you've made or chosen or born into, I mean, because there's there's so many ways to be a family. Sure, uh, right? And and whatever that looks like for you, I think nourishing the people around you, nourishing yourself and the people around you is so important. And one of the ways we can do that is through home cooking. Absolutely, Absolutely right? And and that again, that transfer of energy you just kind of know when someone bakes something with love, right? You ever see right. like the same recipe? And it tastes so much more delicious, doesn't it? Right? <laughs> so I always say, you know, I always cook to Frank Sinatra. I always, you know, um, Rosemary Clooney is usually on while I'm baking. I just feel like there's this way to infuse some kind of like extra love and energy into oh, what I'm sure. baking. Sure. And I know that when I'm kind of rushing through it, it's, it's not going to be as great, right? Because it, you know, I don't know. I always feel like you can kind of pick up on that, but I agree. I think we definitely were not allowed to have fast food as when, when I was growing up or sugar cereals or soda, <laughs> these are like not. And I think that, you know, we, we did kind of, you know, my early childhood, not a lot of extra money for things, right? My dad was in graduate school. So um, we were a little, you know, just watching all of the money. And I, the message that I always got was that these kinds of packaged foods were for, you know, people who had more money. Right. Right. right? right. And I, I, I think that was such a beautiful message. It's like, it's, it's so strange because I always thought, oh, you have to buy fresh foods or vegetables because that's what you do, right? You make it yourself. And I think that, right. So interestingly, isn't that mm-hmm. a, a, a big switch in our mentality, right? Interesting that you thought you had to be rich to buy processed food when now it's completely gone 180 degrees where, you know, only people that can afford, you know, the organic, the fresh, you know, the vegetable prices and fruit prices have skyrocketed over the cost of farming. And rightly so. I Obviously, everything is more and more expensive for us to, to manufacture. And maybe that's where we should be concentrating our resources on supporting our farmers and supporting naturally occurring foods. One of the concerns that I have, and I don't know how you feel about this, but we can talk about it in your nutrition course when you do it, is the DNA restructuring that we're doing to a lot of fruits and vegetables. You know, not for anything, but a purple carrot. I'm not so sure I like purple carrot. (laughs) You know, and beets, they're purple. (laughs) <laughs> why did they turn yellow? I don't know. Is that a real beet? Has, has that been a naturally occurring thing or did they, you know, adjust the DNA on that? And, and, you know, my dad was a big planter. He had a garden every year. And the one thing that I remember as a kid is that taste, you know, like right from the hot sun, you pick a tomato, you bite into it and the juices just pour out of it. I don't know about you, but the last time I had a tomato, I ne- I had did not get that feel. <laughs> it wasn't. It was not warm, and the juice did not flow down my face and all over my clothes. So, you know, there's something definitely different today about our food for sure. 
I agree. Uh, last year, I, I have raised beds here in, in this home mm-hmm. that we bought, and I'm so grateful that I have outdoor land for planting. It was something I wanted to do. Last sure. year, I planted 10 tomato plants. I did not know what they were going to be. I don't know why I planted 10. They were seven feet tall, all of them. Wow. They grew everywhere in every direction so much i kept thinking well the steak is this is a good steak and then you know i'd need another one because you know the whole thing was collapsing the tomatoes were by the time august had rolled around i had tomatoes until october the plants kept yielding so much fruit and really i i love this intersection of gardening of connection of meditation of this process of just you kind of can't do anything else while you're gardening. No, you no, can only garden. And I love the dirt part. I know that's great. Me too. No. But the dirt part, it makes me feel really grounded to the earth and yes. a part of, you know, even part of that healing process, right? You know, yes. that's a further point that he makes is that is the earth is unhealthy and therefore we're unhealthy. So, mm-hmm. so he talks more about our true work is not our job. That is what we do with our life and not what we were created for. And our true work is to care for each other and protect each other and to be of benefit. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. I know that that's your life work too. So why don't you elaborate a little bit? I think that it can be easy to self-identify with, I am what I make. I am what I, the, the money I make, right, in terms of financial but your, your passions and your interests and how you give to the world, I don't think necessarily need to be the way that you are financially compensated. I don't mm-hmm. believe this. But I think that if you find a, a passion and this is what makes money for you and this is what sustains you in multiple ways, right? go for it. Go for it. But I, I feel like, you know, for me personally, my interests in, are wide-ranging. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I spent uh, almost eight years volunteering with a group that feeds folks in the community, right, called Community Cooks out in Somerville, a little shout out there, um, and working with Medford Family Life, which was a live-in residential facility wow. for women in transitional housing, and just working with them to, you know, not coming in as a savior, of course, so I don't want to say that, but coming in to assist with what do we do with the money we have? How do we feed our children well? How do we feed ourselves well, right? Because when you have addiction recovery, there can often be a transference of, you know, we're looking to sugar or cigarettes or caffeine mm-hmm. as legal drugs that sort of, you know, help with, with those, uh, those, the serotonin and those, the feel-good feelings that we're looking for. And so really just taking small budgets and how can we expand on this? How can we take care of ourselves and each other? I, I would say for me, that's, I think that's some of the most important work Right now, I do meditation with seniors in a senior facility, um, and I, I was blown away by how many of them were interested in this. And, and this is not something I think that necessarily on paper is like, oh, this is a financially sustainable thing where I can continue. You know, it's not the thing that pays the mortgage, but I think that this is such critically important work that I would be there no matter what right. for myself. Right. Next one is keep your ego in check, no matter how great you think you are or how great others think they are. This is the first time that something has caused the world to completely stop. Mm -hmm. Now, for me, the first thought that came into my mind when I read that is this is like the shot over the bow. This is a Mm -hmm. warning. 
warning shot, I think, for us. And I think it's for us to really sit back and consider, okay, what is COVID-19 really trying to teach us? And I, I, I think, you know, Bill Gates has so eloquently described all the things that I think this, this really does. There, there's a silver lining here. And I think that, you know, our perception and the way we react to it is, can be, you know, both good and bad. I, I understand that it's, it, that people are going to die and, you know, none of us are exempt. You could die, I could die. Uh, you know, we, we have to keep each other safe. I have to keep myself safe. You have to keep yourself safe. But I think that the key here is that, you know, nobody is exempt. And I think this is a true warning signal for us. Yeah, you want to talk about leveling the playing field. This will definitely sure. do it. Yep. Yeah. I think leading with ego is definitely a mistake. Mm. Um, I've done it myself. It's something that I've struggled with. I, I think one of the things that really hit me recently was uh, I'm a non-essential employee. Mm. You want to talk about an ego hit. How do you find a way to be helpful in an environment where you have just been told you're non-essential? As somebody who considers themselves a helper, somebody who is immune compromised, who suddenly, you know, left feeling left out of the conversation, I could definitely feel my ego wanting to come forward and say, no, 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 but wait, what, what can I do? How can, right, of course. Or what can I do? How can I be helpful? Don't leave me out. And I think that uh, it is an opportunity to step back, reevaluate and figure out a way in which we can contribute, even if that contribution is just taking care of your family, right? So circling that back, just taking care of your own household during this time. Generations of folks that have come before us have dealt with these kinds of issues, you know, lots of turbulence in their life, lots of things that people have survived. Um, and we will get through this. I think the scars of it will likely run deep, especially, you know, I, I think that there's potential for this to do some amount of damage. I think, um, you know, if, if you're already feeling isolated, I think this could be a lot worse for, for those folks. Of course, uh, the financial impact is going to, <laughs> it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. But leading with the ego, of course, this is not the time to be doing that. It's, it's a time for community. And working together to help one another. It's interesting that you brought up the non-essential emotions because I've been very concerned about that with my staff. And one of the things that, that we're doing uh, to help eliminate that is we haven't let anyone go yet, thank goodness, and we are giving everyone work to do, assignments. So you can be supportive in these areas, even though these are not your areas of expertise, these are very straightforward areas that you can help me with or you can help us with. We need to get this done as a, an organization. Mm -hmm. So it's all hands on deck. Let's support the organization. Let's get through this together and we will get to the other side. And I believe that I'm not saying that eventually, you know, it all depends on how long this goes. And sadly, I, I don't have a good feeling about this, especially since the trajectory of the curve is still going up. At this point, I do have concerns about how the length of time that this is going to go. I think at minimum, we're looking at eight weeks. So I do think it's going to be longer than we expect. And I think that, that it's really going to have an emotional upheaval with a lot of people, especially people who uh, believe their significance is based solely on what they do. 
Yes. And I know that's a, a common issue for many men. Um, and so I, I worry about the men a lot. I do too. I think that's a really important, that's an important point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We talked about this before, but the, the earth is sick and we need to look at deforestation. I know that, that he brought up deforestation, but immediately the first thing that came to my mind was that, that issue in Cartagena that I saw firsthand with the dumping of the trash in, in the ocean. We need that water. If we don't have enough water, we can't survive. And the, the fish of the ocean really feeds so many people that I can't imagine not having, you know, the fish supply down the road. So, and the last thing that I wrote down in my notes was not only that, but, but it is the, our animals, you know, the animals that are going extinct because we're not taking care of them or the animals that are overflowing in our backyards, like the deers, the foxes in Maine, I see deer all the time, foxes all the time because the amount of building that is going on is really interrupting their life and what, how they live. So, you know, your comments and, and thoughts on all of this. So we're seeing uh, all our big animals are being wiped out, I know. right? And they've been slowly wiped out over time. And that, that does make my hair stand up. I, it makes me feel pretty sick that the big animals are going, which means we'll be left with what chickens and cockroaches maybe small fish. Um, no, and I think that this idea that there's a limitless supply to everything, um, that we don't need to take care of this, right? This is an ecosystem, you're an ecosystem, so am I, the earth is an ecosystem, and everything's designed to work together. So I think that to look at something in isolation and think, well, we can just get rid of this thing, or, right. right? Like, let's just, uh, you know, one thing impacts another, right? So say you oh, I don't know, kill off all the mosquitoes, right? <laughs> right? I mean, like, we do this, sure, for more comfort, but something else is going to take this space, right? And so now we have this, this imbalance. I think the thing that's hit me really hard recently is the idea that now you can't bring your own bags to the grocery store, right? I agree, right. And, and I kind of have this, like, oh, feeling like, we, oh, my gosh. I'll, and, you know, the brown paper bags, so, okay, that's all right. We can, you know, we can recycle them, right? But, like, the truth of the matter is, like, Nobody wants our trash anymore. We can't no. sell it to anybody. And no. there's pieces that just go into trash anyway. You know, and so, and I think this happened in India as well. There was this push for recycling. Well, what they had found, there was a ton of corruption with this, where the recycling was just, let's throw it in the ocean because we don't have any place to put it to and we're not it. really doing it. And that gives, that gives folks, um, well, they don't really have a lot of trust after that. Well, why would mm -hmm. we do this if they're not going to do that? Because there's no program in place, right? So we get back into this circle. But yeah, that makes me feel nauseous, actually, is the only word for it, that I, I got to the grocery store and I was using plastic bags for my produce when I would use my own mesh bags, right? right. And right. I'm not a perfect person. I just try to do the best I can whenever I can. Every day, right. Right, right, every day. And yeah, it is this idea that there's limitless resources and that we sort of have control over the earth. And um, I personally do not believe it. Right. Mm -hmm. The earth is sick. I do believe that. I, I believe that we are the cause of all of that just because mm -hmm. of our consumption mm -hmm. of resources and our consumption and need to be just taking everything and using it for our own personal benefit that the balance is completely off. And I do know that, you know, in the past when balance is off, the earth shifts and, you know, there's a brand new uh, 
group and community that develops because of that shift. And so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we're heading in that direction. I, I think it's time for us now to really be serious and start thinking about the steps that we need to take to correct all of this. I really do. Yes. So, otherwise, Jeff Bezos is going to have to save all of us when we move to Mars. There you gonna go. Be, it's going to be great. <laughs> there we go. It's a long ride, though. We may not be able to make it, right? <laughs> Now, the other point that I was looking forward to discussing with you is this whole COVID-19 reminds us that this can be the, an end or true beginning, mm -hmm. a new beginning. And, you know, we should take the time, just like you brought up early, to sit back and reflect and remind ourselves of what's important and the lessons that we need to learn. You know, everything is a cycle, right? You know, it's just like the ebb and flow of the ocean. You know, what comes in goes out. It's the sun comes up, then the moon comes up, and we have our cycles every single day. Well, this is part of the cycle. We're in a cycle of stopping and looking at what you're doing, and let's see how we can solve this together. So just some thoughts on that. Yeah, I think like with anything that one does in life, I think that having a an idea about what you're doing and why is really important when we do things on autopilot, even if that's just mm. eating out of the cereal box, standing over your kitchen sink, right? While scrolling through your phone. Not that I've ever done that before, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I am scratched. human after all. Uh, but I think that's an opportunity to stop and say, what am I doing and why am I doing this? And, and is this bringing me closer to what I say that I want, right? So right. if you say, I personally think that balance is a myth. That's my opinion. I think that anyone who does anything well does it a little bit more than someone else, right? You don't kind of accidentally end up at the Olympics. Just, it was just kind of <laughs> dabbling in marathon running and ended up here, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I any, any professional athlete will tell you, uh, no, we just didn't get here, right? Correct, right? Yeah, I totally um, but agree. I, but I think deciding like what's important to you and why and, and does what I'm doing bring me closer or farther away is important. And I think this can be a nice opportunity to sort of step back and think about the lessons that were learned over, you know, these weeks of social distancing, what went well, what didn't, right? Your own personal um, outcomes and corrective actions, thinking about what's, what's good and what's not. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And taking personal responsibility and accountability, I think for, how we live our life. You know, you brought up a very valid point, you know, when you were talking a little bit about the plastic bags and using your mesh bags. You mm -hmm. know, I bought some Brussels sprouts that were in the, those mesh bags that fish get caught in. And I, mm -hmm. I, over this weekend, when I was cutting up the Brussels sprouts, I said, you know what, this is it. I'm never buying anything, any produce in those kind of bags again. I don't care what it is, onions, I will buy them loose instead of buy them in those bags because I don't want to contribute any more with that. And that's just a personal choice, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing with garbage, you know, rather than, you know, throwing garbage out in the trash, I, I have started to take and save it for my compost pile. I too love gardening and there's no reason why you can't put it in a compost pile and let it degrade and, you know, make some great soil and fertilizer for, you know, the garden. So that's what I've started doing. So I think that if we all just take a personal responsibility for what we can contribute in our own little way, small steps create big action, I think. You Absolutely. Know, over the course of time, small steps creates big action. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. After every difficulty, there is ease. Just like a cycle, we're gonna we're in this phase, and uh, we shouldn't panic. So, I wholeheartedly agree with him on that point. Uh, I think that the panic is clearly seen in the toilet paper rush of COVID nineteen, which I still shake my head at and can't. In fact, there's a couple of things I shake my head at, you know, like, duh, finally people are understanding they need to wash their hands. It's only taken, you know, the influenza to to kill 61,000 people in one year in the United States alone, plus now COVID-19, you know, across the world causing such a major disruption to everyday life as we knew it to get everybody to understand, oh my gosh, you got to wash your hands. So just some thoughts on that. One of the quotes that I think of when I hear, when I hear this, this statement um, is no winter lasts forever. No spring uh-huh. skips its turn because this season that we're in, right? March, which is you know the longest year that we've all lived through. <laughs> um, the longest right? month <laughs> that feels yes. like a year, right? Yes, um, yes you know, I, this will not go on forever. And, um, this is a time to come together more than to be separated, even if it's only through this beautiful technology that we have, that you and I can be having this conversation right now in real time with each other, connecting in a way that we can connect. Right. This rush on purchasing things. And I want to, I just want to back up for a second and say that, you know, the grocery store is wiped out of so many things. You know, I, I started to think this is, a, I really want to do some research around this because what was left over was very interesting, really thought provoking because, you know, there was some like, okay, well, we can tell nobody wants frozen artichoke parts. Clearly frozen cranberries didn't go that well, but we live in an, in an era of a ketogenic and paleo agenda, right? Where there's a lot of people we know who are avoiding carbohydrates, not from fruits and vegetables, but from you know, what we think of as traditional refined grain sources like flour, like bread, pasta. Mm -hmm. These sections of all grocery stores were wiped out completely of flour products, pasta, bread, right? And and it made me think what has happened. And I I think this this comfort feeling, we would of course never want to food, I'm never food shaming. So, you know, whatever works for you, right? To sort of get your serotonin up and make you feel better. Um, I think we should do, though I think that if some junk makes you feel terrible, likely more will not make you feel better, but that's my opinion. But I, I do think that it's interesting to see what happens during times like this where we're suddenly, you know, maybe acting in a way we haven't acted before. Right, right, right. It's so true. The trip to the grocery store was surreal. Um, yes. I've only gone twice since the crisis started, and both times, I was shocked at the amount of product missing from the cabinets, I mean, from the store shelves, first of all, but more so I was shocked about the products that were missing. Mm. And, you know, you could find plenty of vegetables for the most part, but not everything. You couldn't Mm. find everything. And I think that's important because I actually think that we should only be buying what's fresh for that season. You know, we shouldn't be buying things that don't grow in our neighborhood or our location, our region. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't be buying product that doesn't grow naturally during those times. We should be trying to buy as much, you know, fresh as we can. But we are so used to being able to get, 
you know, mangoes from Hawaii almost at any time of the year, you know, star fruit from wherever that comes from. I mean, at any time, pomegranates, you know, while they're very popular around Thanksgiving time, you would only find them at Thanksgiving time before. Now you can find them all throughout the year, but just not as prevalent. So I agree with you 100%. I do think that, you know, this really needs to make us pause and think. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we can view COVID-19 as the greatest disaster, but he prefers to view it as the great corrector. Mm -hmm. So the great corrector, now, I think that we can only correct if we choose to correct. Mm -hmm. And I think that I struggle with the fact that there are still people making choices not to take this seriously. And those people are, in fact, actually prolonging this process. They're actually contributing to more spread because you never know. You know, one of the key factors is that you know, you could be walking around and be a carrier and you don't even know it. Now, many of us are getting tested now, but quite honestly, we just don't know. You know, if, you, if you're not sick, why would you go to the doctors? If you're not sick, why would you put a, the stress on the health system right now? But there are people that are walking around, you know, COVID-19 positive and spreading it across the state. So I do like the governor's approach to shutting down the, the borders and recommending anybody that goes in and out of the state to, you know, quarantine in for, for uh, isolate for 14 days. So just share some thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I think that if we don't do anything with the with this lesson that's been sent to us, I think mm -hmm. it might be sent again. I, I kind of really think that the universe will drive that home, right, until we learn that. And I think that we haven't really faced anything quite like this. You know, it, this sort of gets back to that previous point where you go to a grocery store that, you know, is stocked with everything all the time, right? The everything time. is an option at any time where we live, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And I think that for a lot of the world, that's actually not the case. Not everything is available all the time, right? And, and I think that um, this, uh, this me first mentality, I think is a problem. And I think that that's contributing to this, of course, but it, it's hard to, I, how do you, I don't even know where you even begin to stop something like this, right? right? right. Because it's changing a mindset, it's changing, it's behavior change, right? Changing behavior, just getting people mm -hmm. to wash their hands. I mean, look at this, right? You and I know hand hygiene, right? I know, right. right? I mean, like it was kind of drilled into us, right? What hand hygiene is and, and how we keep ourselves healthy. But for, I think a lot of folks, maybe this, this hasn't been something that they've kind of, oh my gosh, we need to buy soap, right? If this was the case, the soap would have never been in stock, right? right? And so it would have always been out. Right. Um, right. So right. it took something of, of this caliber. Uh, and I, I do hope that, you know, the there's a little bit of scarring that's left over that we can say, oh, remember that we need to be careful and not just for ourselves, right? But for our loved ones, for the folks around us, for exactly. you know, the, the people I see uh, on my running route, right? These some of the senior citizens who walk every day, right? I'm mm -hmm. definitely making sure I make a lot of space around them if I'm, if I'm going to be passing them because it's not for me, it's for them. Right. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, We've gotten to the end of the list. I think all of these lessons wow. are amazing. And I think his points are so well done and thoughtful and just an amazing way for us to start getting our head around 
you know, some of the things that we should be doing. I know Bill Gates and his foundation is working quite hard on getting this vaccine going and contributing to all this. And I don't know if you know this or not, but back in 2015, he did a TED talk that actually he predicted that this was going to occur. And I think that, you know, he really does have his finger on the pulse, whether you like Microsoft or not, him as a person, he and his wife, what, what they have been able to contribute to this world because of what he was able to develop, that speaks volumes to me more than anything else. Because it's not about what's in it for him anymore. It's about what he can now do for others. And I think that we all have that responsibility. No matter how much money we have, no matter how much, you know, we all have something that we can contribute from every level of society anywhere. We all have something that we can contribute. We all have some way that we can work. I love the story about Panera Bread where they will not give you free food. You have to earn your free food. So if you would like, if you're a homeless person, they'll teach you how to wipe the tables down. They'll teach you how to you know, deliver coffee, whatever the case may be, clean dishes, whatever the case may be but they will not give you free food unless you provide a service. And I think that's so valuable. It just goes back to one of the original teachings that Jesus you know, had, which was, and don't give a man fish, but teach him how to fish so that he can do it for the rest of his lifetime. Yes, I agree. And, and sort of, I think that you some, a little bit of skin in the game is always important too, right? Like there's that value. Um, I think that, that Bill Gates is one of our great visionaries and and the work that him and Melinda have done and their, their philanthropic work, uh, their outreach and um, what they can do as a result of of, of his um, visionary work, right? And and it's it's not just that it's it's he's put in the hard work. He sure has, right? I mean, this is this is a, a labor of love, mm-hmm. and we we lucky us that we are here to witness that. Right? Absolutely. 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 I couldn't agree with you more. Well, mm-hmm. it's just been an unbelievable pleasure to have you with us today. And I, I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. It's always great to have a conversation with you. Where can people find you if they have questions about nutrition or personal training, mm-hmm. running training, whatever it is, you know, where can people find you? Thank you for that. This has been wonderful. I, I really enjoyed this. So I, you can find me most on Instagram, actually. Excellent, excellent. Uh, yeah, so I'm heart and soul. So heart, like your heart, um, N, the letter N, soul, S-O-L-E, like your shoe, running. Heart and soul running, that's me. Um, so yeah, if you have some questions, come on over. I share all kinds of stuff, um, you know, mainly training, but sometimes food, recipes, thoughts. Um, there's Insight, always a transformation. In, in, inspiration. <laughs> I've seen it all. It's, it's an amazing, it's amazing uh, Instagram handle and it's an amazing platform for you to share your, you know, your knowledge and your talents with the world. So thank you for doing that. Thanks everybody. Thank Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the women in dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.